Genesis chapter 11, and I'm beginning to read from verse 27. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah begat Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran begat Lot. And Haran died before his father Terah in the land of his nativity in Ur of the Chaldees. And Abram and Nahor took them wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and the father of Iscah. But Sarai was barren, she had no child. And Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran, his son's son, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth with them from Ur of the Chaldees to go into the land of Canaan. And they came unto Haran and dwelt there. And the days of Terah were two hundred and five years, and Terah died in Haran. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So Abram departed, as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. Well, friends, we come this evening to our uh, very final study in this uh, book of uh, Genesis and the first eleven chapters. And this is the call of Abraham we'll be looking at uh, briefly uh, tonight. What a wonderful uh, study it's been for us. Where would we be without Genesis 1 to 11? We would be in the dark in so many areas, so unaware of so many of life's uh, questions which are answered uh, by these early chapters. So many explanations that are given to us here that we don't find anywhere else in any other book. And he explained, as we saw last week, even such things as the nations, where they come from, where they derive from, and the languages, the, the plethora of languages that they are. Well, we've seen these and so many more things. The entrance of sin into the world, following those six days of creation, and uh, man's fall and what it led to, and that uh, promise given in the Garden of Eden of a Messiah who's going to come and redeem uh, his particular people. And then we've paid particular attention then, and we'll do a little bit again tonight, on this conflict that there is between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. A conflict that will go on till the end of time. But God, as we see, always preserves uh, his people. So we uh, thank God for these uh, chapters and these studies that we've been able to have. So let's just look briefly this evening at uh, this last part of chapter 11 and just uh, a few verses into chapter 12, the call of Abram. Now we can see in chapter 11 uh, from verse 10 onwards that this, the, uh, the, it's divided into two sections. Uh, Moses, in his usual way, in verse 10, tells us when he's beginning some t a new section, these are the generations of Shem, and he's going to talk about Shem. And then in verse 27 onwards, 
these are the generations of Tera. And so we'll just break it up in that way. So firstly, in verse 10 to 26, the generations of Shem. And there are a number of things to say about this uh, genealogy. And I'll just mention a few things. So firstly, uh, its importance. Uh, it is an important genealogy, just like Genesis chapter 5. And when we put Genesis chapter 5 together with uh, this genealogy in Genesis chapter 11, well, we are given a very specific time from the beginning of creation right until the birth of Abram. And we are, uh, we are given uh, here in, Gen in, well, in Genesis chapter 5, we were taken from Adam and all the way through to the birth of Noah. And here in Genesis 11, we are taken from Noah's son all the way through uh, to uh, the birth of Abram, a period of 2,008 years. And that's very helpful to us. That's one of the arguments that we use for the, uh, the young earth. We say the earth is only 6,000 years old, uh, around that age. 2,008 years uh, from creation uh, to Abraham. And then the experts have worked out another 2,000 years from Abraham to the coming of Christ. And of course, since then, 2,000 plus years. So we're 6,000 years uh, old is the earth. So different from the billions of years put forward by the evolutionists. But then something else we can say about this genealogy is that you'll notice that it, it focuses here in chapter 11, it focuses on one particular family. It focuses on Shem and on one of his sons. He had a number of sons, but it focuses on just one, Arphaxad. And uh, it's going to uh, follow uh, him and his children uh, and all the way down uh, to Abraham. The genealogy narrows. In chapter 10, we read about uh, the, the families of all uh, of Noah's uh, children. But here, it narrows down to just one particular uh, family, to Shem and his son. And this is, of course, the godly line that is in mind. The narrative moves from this worldwide sphere and, and uh, fo focuses on this one particular fa uh, uh, family. From now on, we, the Bible is going to trace what happens to this family, what happens to Abraham and all his experiences and how he became a great nation and what happened uh, to uh, Israel subsequently uh, to that. All the way until the, the coming of the Messiah. We're following this particular family. Yes, it became a great nation, but all that happened to them is uh, here recorded uh, for us. And it shows us in a wonderful way as we follow this thread through the scripture. It, it shows to us how God preserved his people, how God preserved this line, because from this line, as he promised, the Savior of sinners was uh, to come. He wouldn't allow it to become extinct. The devil tried his very best to get rid of this line. We read even in the Old Testament times how, how uh, he tried to wipe out even this particular family and to cause that line to cease. But God remarkably and marvelously 
uh, again and again preserved it. You could think even of the uh, exile to Babylon. They could have all been wiped out. But even there, God preserved a remnant. God preserved this family. And right up until the coming of Christ. This antagonism towards God, the Savior, and God's people is also seen isn't it, in the New Testament at the birth of Jesus Christ. Just a, a while after his birth, uh, his, his father, uh, or supposed to be Father Joseph, uh, he is told by an angel, get out, leave, uh, leave this land, go to Egypt, because Herod's after the, the child. Herod's going to try and kill the child. And we know what he did. We know how he came up with that murderous plan and destroyed and killed all infants and babies under two years old in Bethlehem in the surrounding area because he was trying to get rid of this new king that he'd heard about. And uh, that was satanically inspired. It wasn't just that he was trying to get rid of an earthly king. He was trying to get rid of the king, the spiritual king, of kings, the Messiah, but God once again preempted uh, him and preserved uh, his, uh, his begotten son. Well, God preserves his people as well, and we can take great comfort from knowing that uh, if we are his, if we are truly his, we belong to him, then God will keep us. We do our part, we pray, we read, and we keep close to the Lord, we keep our hearts warm as it is uh, for the Lord, but that doesn't save us. Our, our salvation is dependent on Christ. But at the same time, God preserves us. We have the assurance that if I'm truly Christ, then he will keep me right to the end, right until glory. So we can draw that lesson uh, even from here. And then on a, on a practical issue, and this has been observed by many, from this uh, genealogy, you can also uh, see that People had started to have kids, children, from a very early, from an earlier age than those uh, pre-flood days. Our fact said we read uh, here uh, in verse 12, he had a, his first child at 35 years old, Selah at 30, Eber at 34, and so on. And also joined to that, their lives are also uh, shorter uh, than in the pre-diluvian uh, period. Noah, it's true, Noah lived 350 years after the flood, and Shem himself lived uh, 500 years uh, after the flood. But with the others, you'll notice there's a, a gradual decline in their age. Our fact said, well, he was 438 years when he died. Peleg was 239, Nahor 148, and it uh, gradually decreases. Moses was 120 uh, when he passed away. I think jo Jacob was uh, 110, or, or it might be Joseph, was 110. So, uh, and, of course, Moses wrote that our years are 70 years at best, and perhaps they might even go to 80 years, and uh, some, some exceptions that go even further. But uh, generally, that's the age that we, we go to. But why, we may ask the question, why is this decline uh, in, uh, uh, in, in age? Why, why did it happen? What's the cause of it? Well, a number of people have put it down to the environment. 
because it was a new environment that they're in. Pre-flood, the environment was different without a shadow of a doubt. And uh, so some people say, well, now that, that uh, water canopy, which uh, we've talked about, and I won't go through that again. I've mentioned it a couple of times uh, already. The water canopy uh, is gone, and that's why people didn't have the protection from the sun. And that's why they started aging uh, quicker. But it, it probably cannot be that because we see Noah lives 350 years still and, and Shem, his son, lives 500 years. So another possible explanation, and again, we cannot be too sure, is to something internally. That's something within those who were born post-flood, uh, i.e. their genes were somewhat different to that uh, which, to the genes which people had before the flood. And that seems more plausible uh, an explanation, but we cannot say for sure. But what, let me mention just one other thing about this genealogy. And uh, that is a very, it's actually a very sad thing to have to mention. Uh, but this godly line, which one would think would have remained godly and faithful and true, uh, actually turned against the Lord or became a corrupt uh, we're not sure exactly when it happened, but at some point, somewhere along this line, uh, they had turned to idolatry. And we know this, it doesn't say this in the text here, but in Joshua 24 and verse 2, we read this. Joshua said to all the people, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in old time, even Terah, that's Abraham, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nacor, and they served other gods. So uh, it's, they had turned, Terah and Nahor had definitely turned to idols, and most likely Abraham also, but even probably their ancestors before them. Some of them may also have turned to idols. They had become basically like the world about them. Idolatry at that time was rife everywhere in that world. Archaeology shows that uh, in Ur of the Chaldees, where Abraham was and the family was, they were uh, worshippers of the moon god. And uh, there's evidence of this even uh, in the British uh, Museum. Job was around at this time, and uh, he mentions... Uh, he spoke as well in Job 31, verse 26. He spoke of the people worshipping heavenly bodies. And also in Job 5 and verse 1, uh, we read of Eliphaz who said, uh, Call now if there be any that will answer thee, and to which of the saints will thou turn? And that phrase, which of the saints will thou turn, was a kind of uh, worship, the worship of preeminent people who had gone before. It's a kind of ancestral worship. Even today, if you go to the Far East, it's very common in Singapore and China and elsewhere to have ancestral worship, people who worship uh, uh, those who have gone before, who pay homage to their parents and grandparents. And that kind of uh, idolatry was even around in Job's time and Abraham's time. That was what was happening in the world uh, then. And it seems that uh, uh, Terah and Nahor and others had fallen into uh, this 
uh, idolatry too, had embraced the religion of the world, our friends. How sad to see uh, the godly line becoming idolatrous like the world. Noah was around still at this time. Noah, you know, his, his long life meant that he died only two years before Abraham's birth. So he was still around. Shem was still around. I'm sure Shem must have retained his integrity and his, his faith. Uh, but uh, they would have been appalled, isn't it, to see the idolatry, to see the godly line, the, the prophecy that Noah had given to Shem, and now to see that, that covenant that they had been brought into uh, with the living God, and to see that uh, put to one side, and the embracing of idols and uh, false gods. It must have greatly burdened him, disturbed him, and caused him sleepless nights to think that uh, they had come to such a position. And the helplessness he must have felt that despite all his pleadings probably with them, and his reminding them of the judgment that, that came upon the, the world previously, it seemed to have had little effect. Surely he must have preached to them as well to turn again. Well, friends, what can we do? We too, in our, uh, in our land, isn't it? We are appalled when we see the spiritual uh, degeneration, even in this country. At one, one time, many years ago, we could say that this is, this is a Christian country. Not that everyone was Christian, but there was a, lot, a greater number of Christians than they are today. Many people then willingly went to church. Many people knew the, knew the Lord in truth compared to today. Remember when we were in China? And again, uh, many people said to us, many Christians, Oh, you, you, so you told them you came from Britain. They said, oh, a Christian country. They <laughs> say, not anymore. Sadly, not anymore. Uh, things uh, have changed, and they're really surprised uh, when you tell them it's not a Christian country. It's all st still in so many people's minds. But it shows, isn't it? Salvation isn't passed on automatically from one generation to another generation. Just because the previous generation is Christian doesn't mean the current generation are going to be Christians. Just because somebody comes from a Christian family, it doesn't mean automatically that the children are going to be uh, Christians as well. Each individual, this reminds us, this urges us, each individual needs to seek and to find the Lord and to come to faith in the Lord uh, for uh, himself. And then only, uh, uh, in that sense, faith goes on. It doesn't pass on uh, through the genes. It passes on only from faith uh, to faith. Well, we also, before we move on, also need to remember the exhortation. There's no physical outward bowing down so much to statues today, although we see it in Catholicism uh, and uh, some of the other uh, religions, the false religions, but we still see modern-day idolatry. John still had to remind the believers, little children, keep yourselves from idolatry, from idols. And so also for us as believers, we have to still watch and maintain that love that we have uh, for, the, for our God and keep him center and keep him in the first place and make sure our, nothing else draws away our affections uh, for him that he is primary uh, in our life. And 
our worship of him is the central thing uh, that we live for. Well, let's move on to the second part, and that's the generations of uh, Terah, verse 27. Now, these are the generations of Terah. Terah begat Abraham, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran begat Lot. So, it suggests to us uh, that uh, Abram is the oldest of the three, the three boys. Uh, but actually, we learn uh, late, from later on, it's, it's actually uh, Haran uh, who is uh, the eldest. He emerges as uh, the eldest because we read in verse 29 uh, that uh, Abraham and Nahor took them wives. The name of Abraham's wife was Sarai. The name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and the father of Iscah. So uh, Nahor's daughter, uh, Nahor must have been quite, uh, uh, must have been the eldest uh, for him to have a, a daughter who the second son uh, could marry. Uh, and then we read the youngest must have been Abram and we read that he married uh, Sarai. Some people think that Sarai was actually uh, Iscah, the other daughter of Haran. But again, we cannot be uh, too sure about that. Verse 31, uh, Terah took Abram his son and Lot the son of Haran, his son's son, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth with them from Ur of the Chaldees to go into the land of Canaan, and they came to Haran and dwelt there. And we read that, and it looks like this is an initiative taken by Terah, the father of Abram, to leave uh, Ur of the Chaldees. In Acts chapter 7, when we, we read Stephen speaking uh, before the Sanhedrin, and he says uh, in, his, in his sermon, uh, God, told, God told Abram to get out of his country and his kindred while he was still in Ur, in Mesopotamia. So Acts says God said uh, to go out, and here we read, Terah took them out. Is this a contradiction in the Bible? Well, no, friends, it's not. And if you look at verse 12, chapter 12 and verse 1, well, it gives us the answer. Now the Lord had said, unto Abram, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred. The Lord had said, what well, Moses hasn't put things, uh, the events here chronologically. What he's doing is saying first, Terah left, uh, uh, Terah and Abram left of the Chaldees, and then he gives the reason in chapter 12 and verse 1, because the Lord had said to Abram, get out of thy country and thy uh, kindred. So, in verse 31, it's Terah, probably as the head of the family, is uh, put forth as the one who is uh, leading them out. But it's God who has told Abram to leave uh, his uh, land and to go uh, to a place that he knew not. Get thee out. Get thee out. And verse, chapter 12, uh, verse 1, was the call that came uh, to Ab Abraham. Get out of the idolatrous city. Leave your own idolatry. For Ab Abraham was that idol worshipper too. Get out, because God was going to destroy the land, which he did actually not so long after this. His words 
which was similar to that spoken in Genesis 19. You remember Lot, uh, when he tried to persuade his two sons-in-laws uh, to leave Sodom, he said, up, get out of this place because the Lord is going to destroy the city. And they laughed at him. And they, they thought he was joking. They, mocked, they thought he was mocking. And they didn't receive his words. And they, and they scoffed at all his pleas. And they, uh, they uh, failed uh, to take on board uh, his, uh, his exhortation to leave and to escape uh, for their lives. Well, Abraham is given a similar command, get out of thy country, and he obeyed. It would have been very difficult for him to leave. It was a, we cannot say it was an easy thing for him to tear himself away uh, from his hometown, his familiar surroundings. Ur was a comfortable place to live. It was a sophisticated place. It was a very civilized place uh, to live, in spite of its idolatry. And he's asked here to leave Ur of the Chaldees and go to a place where he knows not where. Just the direction is given to him, and uh, without the actual name of a place given to him, uh, God tells him to leave. God shows him the direction only to go. It was difficult also because at that time there were not many believers around. Shem is still there. Uh, Job, as we said, is in Arabia. Uh, the book of Job was written around that time. Melchizedek, he would find and meet in Canaan, but very few uh, believers. But uh, he, would, uh, he would have heard, no doubt, uh, this wouldn't have been a, a new message in a sense from him, because he would have heard about the true God and the living God uh, from Shem. And so though difficult uh, to leave, yet also God encouraged him and gave him this wonderful promise which we read in verses 2 and 3. I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing, and I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. I will make of thee a great nation. Literally, yes, from this one man would spring a whole nation, a multitude of people, but spiritually also uh, too. From the, from the Savior, uh, who will be one of his descendants, will come the international church of Jesus Christ, the greatest nation, we could say, on earth, the greatest spiritual nation will come uh, from, from him. And I will bless thee, he says, make thy name great. Abraham was unknown. He was in obscurity at this time. And uh, yet God promises to make him great and to be a blessing. That he would be privileged uh, that from his line the Savior would come. And he himself would be an example of faith and uh, obedience to generations to come. Today we are still talking about him. Today we are still inspired by the life of Abraham. None of us can read, if we are believers, can read the life of Abraham and, and not be inspired by his faith and his instant obedience. The Lord said, and he did. Just like here, the Lord said, and he obeyed. He departed uh, for, uh, as soon as he heard. He responded to the call. Uh, we are still uh, encouraged so much by the life 
of uh, this man uh, who has been such a blessing, we could say, uh, to us. Verse 3, I will bless them that bless thee. Those who are well disposed to you, Abraham, well, I will bless them. Those who curse you uh, are cursed. Those who judge you, those who attack you, those who criticize you, well, uh, they will come under this awful curse of God. In other words, the future of other peoples uh, depends on how they treat you, how they respond to you, and all that you stand for. And it's something similar with believers today. How people respond to our message, how people respond to the gospel that we give to them, well, their, en their entire destiny depends on this, uh, how they, whether they receive the word that we speak to them or whether we reject, they reject our, our words, which are not our own words, but uh, the words of Christ, of course, and uh, their future blessing or curse depends on, uh, on, on this thing. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed again, or the, not only the Jews, but the Gentiles are coming in in a wonderful way. Well, friends, God uh, gave this promise to Abraham when, as we said, he was in obscurity, when he was uh, childless, and promised him these things, and he believed God. So he departed, he got out of uh, Ur of the Chaldees. And he, he, <coughs> he's called, he initially, actually he left Ur, and he went to Haran, we read there, uh, uh, in verse, and then verse 32 of chapter 11, sorry, uh, verse 31, at the end, they came unto Haran and dwelt there, and then verse 32, the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. So when Terah died, then they moved on uh, from Haran towards uh, Canaan. Well, friends, just as God called Abraham uh, uh, to get out of earth, so he calls us. So he calls people today to leave the world. The world this world is under God's uh, judgment because of its rejection of him. And God calls us uh, also to leave this world, to come out from it and to have faith in Christ. Come out from her, come out from her, my people, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And what? What's the promise? And I will be a father unto you. I will take care of you. I will bless you. Well, we do not have the exact blessings that Abraham had, but God also promises to bless us as we respond uh, to the call and to make us a blessing to others. The blessings, friends, we have so many the blessing of a salvation, the blessing of a place in heaven, just like Abram. Well, we've been a land we see. We haven't seen heaven. We don't know what it looks like really, but we know we're going there. We know God has given us the direction to get there. We're going to be there soon. We will see with our own eyes soon what we see by faith now, and so we're we're heading for that land that He has promised to us, uh, where there is. No more tears, no more pain, no more trouble, no more crying, no more sickness, no more death. But everything is for our, our blessing and for uh, happiness that we can own, cannot even imagine uh, in this world. It's provided for us in that place. 
We have, while we are still here, the, the assurance that he will protect us. Uh, look, just like Abraham be, was the apple of his eye, so is each individual believer the, the apple of God's eye, the one uh, who, upon whom he, he watches over to take care of and uh, to protect and to uh, bless. And also the promise of instrumentality, that we can be a blessing to other people, that our, your life, your faith, and when you stand for God and you stand in trials and other people will notice these things and will be encouraged by what they see. That brother, he's standing. That sister, she's going through so much trouble and pain, yet she's still standing for the Lord. She's obeying the Lord. She's going the Lord's way. That will speak volumes to other believers and also uh, to the unbelieving world. So our witness, our faith will be a blessing. So we uh, thank God uh, for uh, this, uh, for this uh, uh, brother, uh, Abraham, uh, from whom we learn uh, so many wonderful things. And with this, I, I close. So uh, thank God for, once again for this uh, wonderful uh, messages that we've been able to uh, see from this, the scriptures all that God has done and to bring us to himself, this plan of God that he has put into place, this overall plan. We see the big picture, friends. See the big picture and uh, see what God has done for us. And all that he has, uh, if he has done all these things in times past, but the future also is under his uh, control and he will bring us to that heavenly place. Amen. Amen.